Rehab Confidential is brought to you by Work at Health. Can't afford rehab but need help staying sober? Well, Work at Health provides online therapy for addiction nationwide and telemedicine alcohol detox and suboxone treatment in California, Michigan, Washington, New Jersey, and Alaska. Major health plans like Aetna are accepted in some states. Don't do it alone. Get recovery help on your phone. Download the Work at Health app for iOS or Android to get started today or visit workathealth.com slash rehab to get more information or check your coverage. Cool. This is Ooh. Rehab oh. Confidential. Oh, sorry. Oh, Frank and Amy Dresser. Oh, my God. We're peeling back the layers of the rehab industrial complex. So let's get into it. You want to get into it? Come on. Take the gloves off. Let's get into it. Hey there, welcome to Rehab Confidential. This is Joe Schrank. And, and I'm Amy Dresner. Hi, Amy Dresner. Hi, Joe Schrank. How are you? I'm good. You know, I mean, the world's still weird. Very weird. Do. Yeah. Let's talk about the Karen Foundation. They made a statement on diversity. Mm-hmm. And um, I found it to be tone deaf. Uh, I found it to be a bit patronizing and a little late to the party. Do you think it was a marketing ploy? I think black is the new black. And I think that they've had generations to do outreach to the black community. And And they've not. And they have not, no. And I think that the Karen Foundation is, they do a lot of great work. I have friends who have and do work there. Um, and I have respect for what they do. They're an important system because they're a large system. They're all over the right. Eastern seaboard in various levels of care. Um, and they have a strong presence. So, and for our piece on black people going to prison and white people going to rehab, they did respond unlike the Betty Ford center. Right. Well, we reached said, out to a bunch of, yeah, we went, we reached out to a bunch of rehabs asking for how many black clients they had or how many black counselors and really didn't receive much feedback, if anything, except for the one honest one from, uh, from Jeff ball. Yes. Which we include. Who runs, yeah. Who runs PCH. Mm-hmm. No, I mean, I called the Betty Ford Hazelden people and they they gave me their PR. Oh, I'll have to look into that. Mm-hmm. Really? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I guess looking into it slipped their mind. They didn't mm-hmm. do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not really indict. I mean, I kind of am, but I think it's more a situation of, look, I think systemically from these large systems down to the individual, we all need to pay more attention to this. Absolutely. And, and I think it's getting attention now. Finally, it's been a problem. I mean, I just, uh, you know, yeah, I, I, I mean, it takes what it takes. It's terrible that people haven't addressed this sooner. I mean, my problem with the rehab industry is that it's primarily, uh, you know, money-driven. It's primarily money-driven. It's profit-driven, not just money-driven. Yeah. The Karen Foundation is a not-for-profit entity. I argue that there aren't really not-for-profits. They're the salaries of the executive of management team. Um, anyway, so they made this kind of, eh, it's like, we support diversity. Do you? That's like literacy. Well, yeah, you support literacy. like giving a bunch of money, but it's like, okay. I mean, you know, there needs to be more scholarships. And when I've seen, you know, I've been in treatment center and people have been scholarshiped that it hasn't been people of color. 
So that's just my experience. And maybe things will change. I hope that they do. Maybe things will change and maybe they'll make sincere efforts towards you know, diversifying you can't say, the population. You know, yeah, addiction doesn't discriminate, but recovery does. That's kind of what we found. Correct. Yes, addiction so. doesn't discriminate, but recovery does. Now, <laughs> right, part of the yeah, reason yeah. that those particular things are important is because they have contracts with insurance. There are insured black people who would be in um, in their benefits be able to go to the Karen Foundation or Betty Ford or one of those other large places, and they are not. So it is not just the financial barrier that's part of it. Right. The so, other part is also them not having a system in place to deal with the trauma and prejudice of being a, a black man or woman in America. You know, we correct. found that, you know, that they, there weren't enough black counselors, there weren't enough black therapists, there weren't people that were well-versed in these kind of issues. So that's correct. I they mean, that's my problem with rehab more. in general is it's just not personalized enough. You know, you take any, everyone who comes in, no matter what their, you know, psychiatric, st you know, status, what their trauma, what their drug of choice, and we're all thrown into the same exact groups of, you know, anger management and relapse prevention and sex addiction and, and art therapy and blah, 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 you know. And petting horses. Of course. Horses and sand tray therapy, which right. Right. right, wolves, right. There's a program that has wolf therapy. Well, that's so important. I think I really think that's the evidence-based therapy right there. <laughs> what I think is that's the puzzle piece behind the couch that we've been plagued with addiction for since ever, and now that we have the wolf therapy. It'll all come together. It's going to all go away. Yeah. So basically, I think you pet the wolf and you tell it you don't want to drink anymore. Oh, well, I saw a shaman and he did a thing to like remove the, the spirit of cocaine to exercise the spirit of cocaine. And um, it, um, it didn't work. I shot cocaine yeah. later that afternoon. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Huh. Okay. Well, you're only a sample of one. Of course. You know I know. I mean? mean of one. That's your big thing. That is my thing. The end of one. Okay. So, um, I, look, I think it's a continued conversation to have. I don't totally mean to shit talk the Karen foundation a little bit. I actually mean to sort of cattle prod them in a little bit more to say, look, you're, you're an important system. You, you could assume leadership with this issue. Correct. Um, and like I said, I think that they do a lot of great work and I welcome their CEO, Doug Tynan on any time. Right. Doug. Yeah. Come on and talk to us. Yeah, we'll, absolutely. You know, we'll talk to you. Um, okay. So along those lines, I was watching this really great documentary last night that if you have not seen it, you should call let it fall about the race relations in Los Angeles that led up to the 92 riots. Um, were you here in 92? I was, I was 22 years old and I remember standing on my rooftop, very stoned and seeing fires everywhere, seeing the whole city burn. It was yeah. really, it was, and, and there was a lot of tension, uh, you know, yeah. for weeks after that, it was, it was really intense. I was at USC and I remember I was writing a paper and I didn't have computer paper. And so I was looking down uh, to the 28th street market at USC and they were looting it. And I thought, well, should I loot? 
and go get? Should, should, should I get? The, should I go over there? Really? And get? It's not that expensive. That was your thought. Not what can I do for this cause, but really, should I loot computer paper? Really? Uh, yeah, I was also twenty-two, so my thought was, <laughs> "Fuck, I got to get computer paper." Right? I, I guess yeah. I should. I don't know. I guess I should loot. <laughs> um, but this led you to the uh, the issue of of uh, black men being on drugs that the police are saying, like specifically PCP, correct, correct, and that they have superhuman strength, and that's why they need to beat them in the head with a fucking that baton. That is correct. So there was almost there seemed, and look, I don't think that LAPD created this. I think that they perpetuated it. I think they took the ball and I think they ran with it, and I think it lingers today. This fucking asshole, Lawrence Powell. Remember, I mean, I don't know if you remember him. He was one yes. of the guys beating the shit out of Rodney King. And what he said in his testimony is, well, they're on PCP. They have superhuman strength. So mm. when we encounter one, so basically it's I like- I love look, they and when we encounter one. I mean, it's correct. so depersonalizing. Oh, it's, like, it's like, it, um, okay. And how do you know that? I'm sorry, how do you know? You don't. Yeah. This was the other thing is that his toxicology re revealed no PCP. Of course. There you go. Um, the it's a great the leader- it's a great excuse. The leader of the pack was Stacy Kuhn, who was this angry it's little... An un unfortunate last name. It's an unfortunate <laughs> last name, right? So he was this... He was, and so they said to him while he was testifying, well, but, but Mr. King did not have a weapon. And he said he did. He had his body. Oh, his God. Super, I can't. I can't. Human, I cannot. I cannot. superhuman oh, PCP okay. black man strength. Mm-hmm. So part of what I think we're dealing with, and maybe I'm a paranoid liberal, I'll own it if that's the case, is this stupid narrative that black men are actually an ape out of a cage. They're on egregious drugs. And the only thing that the police can do is put them down because I keep hearing this from Michael, uh, from the, the kid, what was his name? Michael in Ferguson, Missouri. Well, he, he smoked pot. Well, right. yeah, no and, one is as like chill as people on pot, unless you're a little paranoid. But yeah, and uh, I never stabbed Floyd. anyone on pot. No, I know, yeah. I know. And George Floyd, and you know, on and on and on and on and on. And one of the justifications is that they're that they they were using drugs. Yeah, but there are plenty of white drug addicts who don't get beaten within an inch of their fucking lives, you know? Or killed. Yeah, or killed. by the cops. It's if you can't by like we said, if you don't know how to deal with like people that are high, don't be a fucking cop. Like, you know, I don't know what to say. Like get better training or have a specific unit that comes out to deal with people that yeah. are loaded, you know? Well, like, I think that ER nurses deal with drunk people every day and they don't kill anybody. Right, exactly. And so, look, I argue, oh, you know, Blue Lives Matter, respect, blah, blah, blah. They have militarized the police forces to the point where they are sociopathic fucking idiots with, who want a gun and a paycheck and a justification to beat down people that they don't like. And I think that this has been going on for far too long. Well, yeah, and, I mean, now people are just like, you know. And as police. liberal as this city is, as liberal as Los Angeles is, the LAPD, it is the gazpacho Gestapo. Like, what the fuck with these guys? I mean, they're all, they all live in Simi Valley, right? And they have this culture that is, 
whatever. It's racist and it's it's wrong. There's no other way to say it. So anyway, look, LAPD, um, you know, come on. Any any LAPD listeners? Well, then there's also free. like even racism like amongst you know, the cops towards black cops, which is just so fucked up. And I mean, you know, people are like, well, someone said to me, well, you know, uh, you know, the, bl- the black community got what they wanted. I'm like, a woman was set, a black woman was set on fire in her car by two, by four white men who poured gasoline and then threw a, a lit match on her while screaming slurs. And they found a, a Facebook private group for all uh, these, uh, I think it was Long Beach police uh, members where they were planning to kill black activist Sean King. <laughs> right. So I don't think we're where we need to be, but anyway, moving on. Definitely not where we need to be moving on. Fuck you, Lawrence Powell, you racist piece of shit. Um, if you're listening, feel free to come on. I'd love to talk to you as well or anybody else who would like to defend that culture um, or discuss it. Please email um, Amy, Amy's fielding. All the what? angry cop. No. <laughs> oh, no. No. Amy Fields, all angry no, cop. No, 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 no. Okay. They can email me. I'll take it. I'll, yeah. We've got six minutes till our guest comes on. Sorry. So, okay, 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 okay. Let's keep going. All right. So, our alcoholic of the day, our contributor to the society who does, does not acknowledge is Mr. Philo Farnsworth. And do you know his invention? The TV. Philo Farnsworth invented television and he was a very depressed alcoholic and ultimately drank himself to death. And I say, wow, thank you, Mr. Farnsworth for the television. I don't love many things in this world, but television is certainly one of them. Right. But uh, RCA ripped his fucking like stole his thing. They did. They stole his, I, to death. I, I mean, it's a really complex again, thing. To like read. again, not, a, you know, another reason to not be ashamed that you're an alcoholic. Cause that motherfucker created the television, which I, he all, did. Which, which is pretty <laughs> he incredible. Totally, like, he totally had created the television. Yeah. Totally. Created and where was he from? He was from, and here's the, here's the really great part for any um, seventh grade boys listening or for, <laughs> or for me and Amy, who are effectively like a fifth grade class, <laughs> Philo Farnsworth was from Beaver, Pens- or Beaver, <laughs> Utah, but yeah, Beaver, Utah. So he grew up, he grew up in Beaver. And he did went you grow, to the Did you neighbor. grow up in Beaver, Joe? Did you grow I did up not. in Beaver? <laughs> I, I wish I grew up in Beaver. <laughs> and the sign for the state is like taste in huge, like fucking like a red, like a red stop sign. It says taste in big things under Beaver. Yeah. Number one water or something. And I was like, oh. you know what? If we had a budget and if we had a sponsor, I think we should, we should broadcast uh, or we should do a podcast from beaver in honor of philo farnsworth oh my god we could drive we there so hard when we heard that you were like hyster- the- <laughs> you were just like hysterical i was like get it together dude yeah well look i mean part of alcoholism is developmental delay i and- know i've written about it. thank you it's harder yeah. for us to learn because of low dopamine tone and retain i know i'm having a very hard time adulting i'm very i'm catching up still I'm not very good at it. That's why I beg you to feed me all the time. I can't cook. Well, you know, one of the things, like, sometimes the only, my only metric for when I've gone too far with fifth grade boy humor 
the only way I can tell, because I can't regulate it myself. Is the do? Uh, yeah, is when Lori Dew says, oh, honest. <laughs> like, if, I say, if I said, hey, Lori Dew, did you know that Philo Farnsworth, inventor of the television, not only drank himself to death, <laughs> but he was from Beaver, Utah? She um, might laugh once, but if I kept it up, eventually she would say, oh, honestly. So funny. The sad, really sad part about Rodney King is he was like one of my favorite people on Celebrity Rehab. He seemed so nice and intelligent and sweet. And, yeah. you know, I was really kind of devastated when he, he drowned he in died. school. Yeah. I just, yeah. you yeah. know, I can't imagine the trauma from the beating and the fame and the, you know what I mean? If you, you know, if you weren't a drug addict before that, Jesus Christ. So just. Oh, totally. Know. And that wasn't his only run in with the cops. I mean, he, I think he had a few of them. I don't think they beat the shit out of them every time. That was horrible. That was just like, it was like, un, I couldn't watch it. It was just, it was really, really hard to watch. It was horrific. Yeah. I mean, it, I'm just like, are you yeah. kidding? They're on, he's on the fucking ground. Stop. Stop. You know? to stop he's on the ground he's bleeding enough right we have two minutes before our guest okay, so two minutes so tell, the, tell, the, tell, tell the tell the the eight the, the first eight stories. okay okay all right so this is a funny story and i told this to, for our listeners i was telling amy this and you know part of what i do is i go on when it happens it, you know i go on the road with bands to support their recovery sometimes it's um you know somebody's newly out of rehab or whatever it is it's generally the drummer. I don't know why, but usually the drummer. And so I was in uh, England on a tour with a classic rock band. And I went, you know, as I would, uh, to the, the snack table, which is where I generally would hang out at these shows, um, mostly because I'm a good eater, as we've established. <laughs> so the lady says to me, oh, love, are you with the band? And I said, yeah, I, I, well, yeah, I'm with the band. So, okay, well, if you're doing beer, the first eight are free. <laughs> you gotta love England, man. I do love England. And so what I a said, great place to be an alcoholic. <laughs> the first eight are free. Well, the not first only. Eight. The well, first right, eight. I mean, I just but, couldn't. I mean, that, right. Oh, my God. When I was a comic, like, you got two drink tickets. You're like, you got two fucking drink I tickets. I mean, the first fucking eight. Well, so that's good. the that was Why sort of I'm going to the did totally go to England. That was the funny part of it. Well, there was a bunch of funny parts of it, but the so I didn't know whether to think like where is the emphasis here? The first eight are free, <laughs> so the the eight after are you have to pay for, or the first eight are free. <laughs> like, so good, it's so what? good. It's so and good. it wasn't. We weren't in London. We were in. I don't know, one of those northern Not towns. Yet. Like Newcastle. It was, Newcastle. It was just, it was so funny yeah, because she was just like. There. Oh, they're heavy drinkers. There are, are we? Let's do bring our, on our guests. Guest. We have a okay. really amazing, funny, smart guest. She's a, she's a good friend of mine. Um, she is a legendary Hall of Fame porn star. Um, please welcome. Miss Brittany Andrews. Hello. Hey Hi. there. <laughs> hey there, girl. How are you guys doing today? Thank you so much for having me on. Thanks, Thanks for coming on. <laughs> are you already trying to that make laugh, a laugh? That laugh, right? Isn't that the nanny? It's the nanny laugh. It's so good. 
And here I thought you were my friend, girlfriend. What are we talking about? <laughs> Wait, Brittany, are you from, are you from Queens? No, I'm actually, okay, this is what I always say. I'm originally from Wisconsin. Okay. Um, but then I lived in New York. So then okay. you put somebody from Wisconsin in New York too long and you come up with a bitch that has like a really bad Jersey accent. <laughs> so you have, because I, I, I was going to say, you, you're doing it well. Like if this is mimicking and not <laughs> organic, you got, you got it down, right? The whole it's thing. It's an organic like, thing. I'm a mishmash of this and that over time. <laughs> right. Like, oh, God damn, you wouldn't believe it. Like that, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So and then I also I'm, had, like, all of my Botox done recently, too. So I can <laughs> barely, like, I keep on tripping over my own lips. It's like a thing. <laughs> so, you know, that adds to the whole thing. <laughs> Okay. Well, that's that's very real, you know. It's because very Forest Hills. Well, yeah, but she's in Vegas. Everything's open. I gotta call my Botox guy. Fuck this, man. Oh really? yeah, everything has been open. I've already had my nails done. My my roots have been colored. Yeah, you I'm look already great. My third, my third nail thing. So. <laughs> um. So I did a little bit of research, and uh -huh. um, I found you know I, I remember. Um, a famous British porn star ODing and dying in a, a now defunct West Hollywood rehab. And I, I was Googling about drugs in the porn industry, and it seems to be a real problem with addiction. <laughs> and <laughs> and uh, like in 2018, like a slew of porn stars uh, overdosed and died and killed themselves. And I know that you've been, you've worked in the industry, the adult industry for what, 20 years? More? Uh, next year will be 30 years. Amazing, amazing. Been, yeah, but, in and out and around and about, you know, uh, the adult entertainment industry, yes. Right, but you've been sober for? Uh, I got four years now. I had uh, three and a half years before, and then I did what, la what I like to call my intermission. <laughs> <laughs> so I did a one-year one intermission, and then I got back on track, and now I've got um, four years. Excellent. So tell us a little bit about your experience in the industry and drug use and addiction and getting clean and working clean versus working loaded and talk to us. So, oh my God, we've got like five hours. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> a it's a lot of stuff in that one question. Um, well, you know, you're from Hollywood, you know, and pretty much everybody in Hollywood is like fucked up. <laughs> and the porn stars are definitely uh, part of that wonderful Petri dish of Hollywood. And, um, you know, I, you know, I don't like to feed into stereotypes that people have about adult film stars because, uh, as a sex worker, sex workers are so often just written off right. as not being human beings and, you know, sex workers are murdered, sex workers die and they make fun of my, you know, really beautiful female friends uh, on Twitter and things like that. So, you know, I kind of like to, you know, move forward with a question like that with humanity uh, towards my fellow sex workers because we're all human uh, and, you know, and not all of us, you know, there's many that have no issues with drugs or alcohol. Uh, there's many that don't have, you know, childhood trauma, things of that nature. Right. But 
there's a substantial amount uh, of us that have, um, and definitely a lot of women that come from poverty that reach out to uh, to this type of work mm -hmm. uh, to be able to move forward with life. And I do, I do know, like you know, besides one of my uh, very close friends uh, that are in the rooms, uh, she does multiple programs. And I love how she says that she does a recovery with capital R. Mm -hmm. And um, and that's made a big difference on my second round of recovery is that I'm not just focused on drugs and alcohol, but also the mental health um, aspect of it. I work another 12-step program called... Um, uh, ACA mm -hmm. and um, and that's like a 12-step program for um, adult children of alcohol too. Yeah. well I don't like to say that because uh, many of us didn't have parents that were alcoholics myself included uh, it is a really good 12-step program for trauma uh, and definitely like for complex PTSD and things of that nature and so I do um, try to participate often uh, with a newer branch within the adult entertainment industry called Pineapple Support. And they work on the um, on uh, outreach to individuals on the porn side of uh, uh, being a sex worker to get them uh, mental health services. Awesome. And with that, you do get some very um, sad statistics mm -hmm. that, yes, there are a lot of suicides in our business, like astronomically higher, like uh, like four times higher than the average, um, than you know, what we like to call civilians, the average public. So, um, you know, there definitely is... I mean, just in general, being a porn star, the simple fact that you do have to deal with the stereotypes and the judgment and those type of things alone from not only the public, but quite often your family mm -hmm. um, are just, you know, things that can make you isolate even more and have other difficulties uh, with mental health. So um, in that aspect, you know, they're definitely, and then now, You've got, you know, all the social media. There's been some deaths in our business from cyberbullying. Um, oh, no. Suicide. We had a girl that hung herself from a tree after being bullied uh, on Twitter. So, oh. you know, you're, there's, um, there's a lot that, you know, um, it's, it's, a, it's a big business. You know, it's kind of like small Hollywood. So any kind of, like, you know, issues that you're going to see in – you know, the regular mainstream entertainment industry and rock stars, you know, we definitely have the same kind of shit going on in right. our business. Brittany, is there any kind of regulatory body for health and safety on, uh, you know, on sets or, I mean, you know, even in Hollywood, there's unions and there's, you know, some kind of regulation about safety. Um, is there anything in, in the porn industry that would, would address some of these issues? Um, so, like I said, I've been around, next year it'll be 30 years. <laughs> so yeah. I, I do have a very large scope of how things used to be and mm. where they're at now. 
And just like um, how everything else in the world is upside down right now, we're definitely having a lot of breakthroughs in our own business. Wow. Um, we're going through our second round of Me Too right now. We're mm -hmm. addressing systemic race, uh, racism in our business right now in a way that's never been addressed before uh, yeah. since this whole um, since the protesting and riots and BLM and all of that has um, started, we've had that movement, uh, fortunately, also start running through our own business. Um, in the past, when there were issues, um, it really went nowhere because it was a very male-dominated industry. And if you're a woman, you know, you were kind of patted on the head and told, you know, sit down and shut up. And you never, it was really a fight to have a voice. Almost impossible to have a voice. Uh, now you've got porn stars that have got 5 million followers on Instagram, you know, 2 million followers on Twitter, and those bitches got a voice. <laughs> and they are yeah. using it. And yeah. so no longer yeah. is it, do we have to tell anybody in the business to try to fix something? You go on social media and right. you speak to your fans and that starts a huge scandal that just runs through the entire business. Now, you know, there's been, there was an original kind of Me Too movement that happened uh, when the rest of uh, the world was having a Me Too movement. But there's been another very recent one that kind of happened after the, um, the BLM uh, protests started happening, that started happening in our business. And as many people know, um, recently Ron Jeremy was just brought up on charges in Los Angeles as well. Yeah, I saw that in the news. I wasn't sure what the charges were, but. Uh, they're for rape and assault and some other things of that nature. Okay. So the original Me Too movement in our industry, it shook things up a little bit. Um, you know, people were called out but all those people were still working. Like there was no consequences right. at all for any of their actions. Um, and then there was a few, you know, that were outed and they were embarrassed and they gave apologies and their, you know, some of their career was, you know, hindered a bit, but truly no real consequences. So in my 30 years of being in this business, I think I've seen twice uh, any consequences for the actions of some of the predators that are in this business and the second time just being this with Ron Jeremy. Mm. So, you know, I am really hoping that this arrest kind of um, finally shakes things up enough that there will be some real consequences for what do you what what do you think is needed to change some of that because i agree with you i think look sex work is work and people should have protections and the dignity that all humans have you know is it would a union help could could the report some abuses is there something that could help just in terms of health care and outreach for mental health services for some of these People, well, you know, um, since I've been in the business, there's been talk of a union always. The difficult yeah. thing is there's like millions of women that if one girl wants to strike, there's like 500 
thousand girls to take her place. Right. So it makes it really difficult in this business to have a union. They have kind of, for the first time ever, put together a union at the moment called APEG, and they do try to do their best. And they have actually um, came up with a concept of, uh, and it's something that's really brand new that was brought up within the last two weeks of like a onset steward. And so they're starting the stewardship program because one of the biggest kind of issues that we have in this business is it's a monopoly. It's not like when I was in the business in the nineties and there was a ton of like different companies that ran everything. It's like three companies own everything right now. And there's really nobody to say on set because everybody works for the man. <laughs> right, right. Like, hey, I've been raped on set. You know, like, who are you going to say that to that doesn't work for the man? Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, I will say that, you know, because of all the stigma that we have, it does make it a lot more difficult to kind of have the the things that roll off of your tongue so easily, like, well, you should be able to have this and that and that. It just doesn't work in our business that way. Um, it's really difficult to kind of um, organize and to put these groups together just because of the way that the, the business is and the stigma and so forth and so on and the high turnover rate. Mm. Um, but they are trying to do their their best at this moment you know just like i would say you know you've got you know, I, i'm gonna assume both of you are in la you've got a lot i've got a ton of my friends in la that are at the protests and you know um and trying to step down on um on twitter and to say you know as a white person of privilege i i say it out loud i um I want to be more educated. I don't want to be silent. What can I do? Right. And that same kind of like breath of what's going on there, that's absolutely happening in the adult business right now as well. Um, and so somebody that's been in this business for 30 years and has been kind of an annoying loud voice often. <laughs> you? I don't yeah, believe right? it. I don't believe it. Exactly. I Well, I'm definitely not the porn star that's just going to fucking go along with what everybody else says just because everybody else is saying it, you know? And so I'm really happy to see that, you know, women finally have a way to be heard. And there's been court cases this year where, you know, an agent was sued for, you know, shit that he was doing, you know, so... Even though we're not, you know, as where we would like to be with all of the kind of social uh, indifferences and in trying to help this business, you know, I, I see a lot of promise for things moving forward in a, in a good direction. So, do you think that? Do you think that if women were in more positions of power as producers or distributors, would that help the situation? There's only three companies, so uh, okay. I mean, are they going to be uh, at the top of one of those those three companies? No, and also too, like, no, I don't think so because even if you're a producer or you're a distributor, you're not a performer. You are like the enemy of the performer. Now, I've been a distributor, a producer, a director, 
and a performer. So I can put all those different hats on mm -hmm. and I, and I, and I can also stand uh, quite often and understand where the, the producers are coming from as well, because, you know, there's a lot of litigation that's going on on Twitter and there are a lot of uh, sex workers that do have drug and alcohol and mental health issues too. Um, and you want to always stand with the female performer, but you also know that some of these bitches are crazy. <laughs> <laughs> and I know the producer and I know that they are solid, good human beings too, right, you know? Right. Um, so things can get real messy, right. you know, things can get real messy. Like life is at times. And as somebody coming like from an ACA perspective, um, and looking at that individual that's, you know, a crazy bitch, you know, I know <laughs> that that individual is probably coming from a place of trauma. Of course. And I always want to put on my empathy, you know, hat there, but sometimes, you know, when they're, uh, using their character defenses from, you know, uh, as a survivor, mm -hmm. they can really hurt some other good people in between, you know? And so, yeah, I kind of went off on that one. No, that's no, it's very interesting <laughs> about the ACA because we're going to have on uh, an ex-vet, ex-FBI, ex-cop who runs now a program for uh, combat vets with trauma who have complex yeah. PTSD, who are, have serious drug and alcohol problems, suicidal ideation. And um, a big thing that he's been uh, bringing in is ACA for trauma. So that's oh, interesting that's that really you should, right yeah, as well as meditation. So you're not the, you yeah. know, I, I, I've never been, even though my mother was an alcoholic, but yeah, that's interesting that that seems to be sort of like a program that's really good for trauma. So, you know, this is why I like to do the show because I get to learn. So it's, you know. Yeah, you should go. You know. <laughs> <laughs> Another program. Yay. Well, okay. Um, I just have like one more thing to say about it. It's like for me, it's like kind of like my, um, my one-stop shop because it covers codependency, workaholism, mm -hmm. food stuff. Like it kind of goes to like the core of everything, you know. I there's a, a guy on Instagram. I wish I could remember his name that I follow. That's amazing. That does trauma work, and he said, you know what? And they were talking about trauma and addiction, and he's just so well spoken. You guys should have him on your show. I'll find his name for you later. Sure. But he said, you know, at the end of the day, underneath addiction is pain. And when you can start really um, talking about that pain is when the discussion opens up to, you know, where we can really start doing some real healing. Mm -hmm. And I feel like, you know, with um, that particular 12-step trauma group, uh, that's what you're doing is you're getting to like the root. And, um, and it's scary, uh, but you know, it's um it's real healing you know it's like deep real healing uh and that's you know as somebody that's been in the industry for thir for 30 years um that is in recovery um and i love all of these young girls even if i don't know them um you know they're little mini me's and you know and in some way i want to uh give back and the best thing for me to be able to do is to do things like this, is to stay sober, do my trauma recovery, and then 
you know, try to have a voice for it in some kind of way. I even post some random shit on my Instagram here and there that I'm sure the majority of my fans are like, oh, no, where's the boobs? <laughs> Way too much, you know? <laughs> What's your experience now working sober? I mean, are there drugs on the set? Are people high? Like, is it is it difficult? Well, what, like the AVN seem to be like a party scene. Talk to us a little bit about that. So I never worked uh, like uh, high or drunk or everything. Or I shouldn't say never, but very rarely. Right. I kind of always separated work from drugs and alcohol, which I know a lot of sex workers, it's the exact opposite. Mm -hmm. So for me, like I have always had a really difficult time with a personal sex life because that's where I use drugs and alcohol. Ah. Um, and so like, that's kind of what separated my work sex life from my personal sex life was drugs and alcohol. So um, work sex has always been really easy for me to do as a sober person. Personal, not so much. That's a lot more difficult for me. Um, but yeah, you know, as a porn star, you are definitely around a lot of drugs and alcohol at all of like the events that you go to. Mm -hmm. You know, I just went to, there was a, a, a director of one of the larger companies here in Vegas that had like a small little barbecue at his pad recently. And you know, everybody was doing lines and, you know, Oy. one of the things that I, um, that's a part of like my sobriety or actually it has more to do with my complex PTSD, but that kind of all goes together. Part of my complex PTSD is I have a lot of anxiety, which is why, you know, I was, uh, uh, used alcohol to manage that anxiety. Right. So now that I don't have that, you know, when I'm at like different events and shit like this, I just, I'm always busy. I'm always like getting up and doing shit. So I was like cleaning. <laughs> it was funny. They, they left the room and I'm cleaning away. And I said out loud, I'm like, we don't want the drugs mixing in with the, the snacks and the nachos and the salsa, <laughs> you know? And I'm like moving the salsa and the cocaine over to this side. And they come in, they're like, what are you doing? I'm like, I just don't want my salsa and my coke mixed together, you know? Yeah, hi. I've got a. I mean, back in the other old days, yes, but not I've got now. An appetite. I'm trying to eat the salsa and chips. <laughs> you know, I would prefer if you had some sugar around here because that's my biggest addiction nowadays. But, <laughs> uh, but yeah, you know, like it's definitely. I remember when I first got sober. This is hilarious. I actually just saw my first um, sponsor very recently. She was visiting Vegas from New York. And uh, when I first got sober, I had a meeting with her and I still had some of my favorite champagne on my toite, which was Vouv Clicquot, because some had been spilled when I was naked on me and I had somebody like snorting cocaine whoa, on whoa, whoa. <laughs> wait, <laughs> wait, 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 hold, on your what? My toite. Oh. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Which, you know, is next to the pate, but I highly recommend the pate. pate is much less fishier, honey. Okay. So, but, but anyways, right, so, you know, I'm like reeking of like drugs and alcohol when I go to like see her and I, I explain to her, you know, my, my situation. And she goes, well, did you, did you lick yourself? I said, no. She's like, you're fine. How, how, uh, how flexible does she think you are? Jesus. Oh, I'm that flexible, honey. <laughs> <laughs> that would be a relapse for the ages if you were able to do that. 
right, dude. That's funny. But yeah, you know, thank God I had her as a first sponsor because, um, you know, I was DJing at that time and I was still, you know, finding myself in, you know, jobs that were paying that were like that. And, um, and she didn't judge. She was like, okay, you're still sober. That's fine. Let's keep it moving. And, um, but so, you know, from the beginning, you know, just like anybody else that's like kind of in the music industry, you know, you got to just, if you're going to be sober, you're going to be sober, you know? And, and I know like I've worked with some sponsees that can't be around that environment at all. Right. Um, and, but at the end of the day, I was, you know, my mind was made up of like what I was going to do and I wasn't going to relapse just because I was around it. That wasn't like my, my deal. I was going to relapse if I wanted to relapse. Mm-hmm. It wasn't going to be like some accidental kind of like, I'm going to lick my toite <laughs> kind of thing, you know? <laughs> okay. Yeah. What's your experience in the program since, I mean, you're so, you're famous and you're well known. So is there, is there an issue with you in terms of your anonymity and going to meetings? Oh, yeah. no one keeps my fucking anonymity no one does (laughs) are you bothered at meetings by people no not at all like you know i get it you know i mean especially it's like it's vegas it's not la right Right. in la it's you know like it's just another fucking porn star right uh but here it's not as like normal and i could care less And, and in all actuality um, you know, there's at, at the AVN that we have every year, which is like the big, you know, porn, exactly. Right. Uh, we do meetings and, oh, that's wonderful to hear. Yeah. There's like, like a couple of meetings that are done every day and we do them in the pineapple support, uh, group suite. And it was interesting because I was talking to some other sex worker that wanted information on where that particular uh, meeting was going to be. And she was saying that she was really happy because she couldn't go to meetings where she lived at. Mm. And Lord, I went into like some bleeding deacon, like (laughs) gospel preacher. Like I said some shit that that made my, you know, uh, hair on my, you know, just stand up and chills, you know? And, Primarily, the concept of what it was is, at the end of the day, I'm really vocal about exactly who I am and what I do when it's appropriate to say so. Um, And in general, everybody knows. And like I was saying to her, it's really important for me to be honest because it's freaking Vegas. There's a lot of sex workers that are out there. And if there's not somebody yeah. inside those rooms that represents who they are right. as a female, they're going to feel exactly like that girl. They're going to feel like all these bitches are judging them, which they all do. And that's right. fine. I don't give a fuck. Because <laughs> 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 at the end of the day, if I show up, and this is what I said to her, at the end of the day, if I show up on a daily basis, I'm vulnerable. I let them know my story. Um, I, to them, am just another uh, individual on the road to recovery. Right. You know, if I'm honest and I show up and people see I'm human and all these different kind of things, nobody gives a fuck what anybody does in those rooms. Right. You know, we've all come from, you know, weird pasts and so forth and so on. And, um, and I think even more so when you, when you tell your truth and you have some honor about it, 
um, you know, people respect you even more. Absolutely. And it's important that somebody is in there because there are so many, you know, women that have all kinds of weird sex shit as of part of their, uh, uh, part of their addiction and part of their road to recovery. Yep. And, you know, well, I, I can see that person uh, in a room that symbolizes like, it's okay. You know, it's okay, and we can talk about this, and we can work through it. It doesn't have to be shamed and put behind some, like, closet. I think you're a real pioneer with this idea, and I support it wholeheartedly. I think that when women come into rehab, that that particular issue is probably not addressed as at the level mm -hmm. that it should be. And Amen. I think for, for many women, it's at the vortex of their trauma and their yeah. potential recovery. So, so look, great. I've learned, if I've learned anything as a social worker, it's mm -hmm. um, shame won't help anything. It won't help an eating disorder. It won't help depression. It's not going to help trauma. It's not going to help any addiction. So I applaud your, um, uh, your uh, lack of shame and, and being a pioneer and an example for other, for other women. You know, good for you. Thank you. And I know, you know, and it's one of those things too of like I've gone to women meeting women's meetings at rehabs and there's been some older women there that don't like me. You know, simplistically uh -huh. because I'm sex worker positive. And so often when women go into these facilities, uh, they discourage women from being sex workers. And I'm actually right now working on trying to become the new president of Swap L V, which is Sex Worker Outreach Program of Las Vegas. And I've talked to um, many other individuals that kind of work with women that are marginalized, you know, homeless sex workers and things of that nature. And the thing about it is, is we all like to have our judgments, especially like me as a, as a white privileged porn star sex worker, right? Like it might be my want for a more ma marginalized sex worker to like, try to get them to do cam to like get them off the street or something like that but at the end of the day they might not want to do that even though it sounds better to me they might not have any in because there's so many different forms of sex work and everybody feels really uh comfortable and uncomfortable doing different types of things and what my judgment of what might be better for them might be very different from what their judgment is and so often when you're dealing with a lot of social work with sex workers, quite often sex workers don't end up getting the help that they need because exactly they're shamed and they're like, well, you can do this instead when really they would just prefer to learn how to do what they're already doing, but to be able to do it being sober. Right. So, and I'm a hundred percent, like if you're somebody where you're as being a sex worker is going to make you drink or use, or it's going to lead to depression or mental health problems, then absolutely, then let's give them choices of different paths. But there are many of us that are perfectly fine, you know, doing this type of work and we love it. Um, and to have that option taken away from us in order to get, you know, much needed help uh, is really uh, unfortunate and sad. Right? Well, I think it would be really hard because I think that the rehab industry or recovery in general would come from a place of judgment that being a sex worker 
inherently means correction. Like part of it is to, okay, is to fix the situation. And I agree with you. Everybody is different, right? If it's, if you, if it is not a problem for you, it's not a problem. And so the judgment has to be removed from it. I think if somebody is experiencing um, uh, a horrific trauma or it's contributing, that that's a very different story. But they get to make that decision, not the, yeah. not the judgmental clinician or the judgmental recovery group of people looking. You know, that, that's one of my big issues with recovery and treatment in general is that it's this imperialistic value system of correcting and fixing people when in fact it should be should more be, harm reduction to start well, I, yeah well look i'm a big harm reduction person i think if people are sex workers how can we support them in being um and in, in having their job safely yeah how, how can they do that as safely as possible how can they maximize the potential how, how is it that they can go about that what can we do to help them with other issues we're not necessarily um to me that's like father sarah who came to California to fix the natives, right? He was just going to beat them into submission and fix them. And there wasn't really anything wrong with how they lived. Right. right? Exactly. And I try to be that voice to other individuals that, you know, either are not sex workers or other, you know, white bitches like me, like you know, <laughs> we gotta be more like open-minded to understand that people, different people are coming from different places and we can't make them want what we think is best for them. You know, we need to listen to them and hear what they're saying and support what they think is best for them and then offer suggestions and, and guidance if they wish to take it. You know, and, and that's how I try to be with my, my sponsees as well. I'm not here to tell anybody to do anything. I'm just here to offer uh, some guidance and suggestions. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's such a personal uh, journey, this road of recovery, that it's got to be done in your own way. And, you know, and I feel like as a sex worker, it's the exact same kind of thing, you know? It's such a personal and intimate kind of job that it really needs to be supported for an individual to be able to do it in a safe and healthy, supported kind of way. So that, you know, because at the end, yeah, I mean, it's like, I, I get that there's a lot of shame around it, but like, it's just fucking. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, I, look, I think that's a, that's a very valid point. The other thing I don't understand about the judgment is that this is the law of supply and demand, right? There's a demand. Yes. And, you, you and it's a demand. wonderful, so, and you know what I have to say as a woman that's been in this business for 30 years, I am so beyond grateful for this career that I've had. It has been such a wonderful ride that has blessed me in so many ways, as a woman that dropped out of school in seventh grade, that came from poverty, that came from a lot of trauma, I've got to travel all over the world 10 times over. I've dated billionaires. I've shopped at the nicest places. I've been to the nicest places. I have had an opportunity to be educated on everything with filmmaking, technology. Like, you know, my education is so beyond vast. 
when it comes to so many different things that I've, I've learned over the last 30 years from, you know, entertainment, production, makeup. I mean, I mean, it's a list is like, it just goes on. I do P I do Python programming. God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know what that is. I'm almost 50 and I got a fucking Twitch account. You know what I'm saying? Cause that's what porn stars do. <laughs> what's, 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 you know? what's next for you? I mean, does this, because I always thought being a porn star was like being a baseball pitcher, that there's a shelf life, you can't do it forever. Oh, Is there... Let's talk about that, can we, for a moment? <laughs> sure. As sure. an old bitch, I am so grateful for porn because MILFs are the hottest, most trending thing on the planet right now. Like every really? country, it's one of the top. Uh, right. highest, uh, most right. searched for on search engines across the planet. I've got so oh, many right. civilian girlfriends that like still want to lie about their age. And I'm like, honey, <laughs> that is so like from the past. I'm like, oh, this is a trending hashtag. I'm like, you gotta let them know. Cause so all as, my, yes, as, you know, the someone... young boys love, love, love. And you know, and so I'm just like really grateful because when I hit 30 in this business, I thought my, my, my career was over. And then thank God for American Pie, that word MILF came out. <laughs> and now bitches start getting in the business in, at the age of 40 and they got 4 million followers on Instagram and gifts are going to be the next newest trending thing. Because let me tell you, if they started at 40, 50 is coming right around the corner. What's and there's grandmas? Yeah, uh, grandmas, I'd like to... <laughs> Interesting. They're not so as, as a guy, followers just because they're as, getting older. As a guy who is classically dad bodied, right? Like I've been dad bodied since I was twenty. Yeah. Probably before. <laughs> probably since birth. I think I was ten pounds at birth, so I probably had a dad body at birth. Uh -huh. Um is there still hope for me? Like can I could <laughs> could I have a second career? Brit, he's six five. He is six okay. five. No, let me let me be the honest bitch that I am. Okay. Um, if you're straight, eh, probably not so much. But if you're gay, oh, totally. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. They, right. uh, Interesting. You know, the, the DILF is really popular in the gay community. God, man, I never, I never get the right cards. It sucks. You know, um, I, I think it's really interesting because I think that we need to remove the judgment. Uh, I, to me, I always wonder, like, well, somebody is consuming the product. So people who are judgmental of the porn industry, that's ridiculous. Somebody is somebody like you can't if you if you put into Google something and it's always like, it always goes to porn, right? Did you yeah. mean titty fucking? Like, no. Yeah, right? I, no I, meant, I meant, I meant, no, I meant, I meant, where are the tacos? Windows. Right. I, I'm looking for tacos in Tucson. Did you, are, are you sure you didn't mean titty fucking? <laughs> so I think like the whole thing is, I think that the puritanical nature of America and the unwillingness, you know, we inject this morality into drug use, into, into uh, pornography, whatever it is. That is a major barrier to wellness for people with mental health issues. And, you know, and I, I'm always talking about this, too, which, um, because I'm always talking about everything because I talk a lot. Um, but, you know, a lot of the analytics 
that okay so let's just say we've got like some of the top adult film companies right and so they literally take like a five minute scene and they break it down into each act that's happening and then they analyze it and then they give like a uh, an algorithm and analytics for each thing that's being done on each scene and so they're really broken down and any girl that's got a lot of followers on Instagram, we all know which countries we're getting the most followers uh, from. And it's always the countries that oppress women. Of course. And so it's like we're now making content uh, for those individuals and those countries that are oppressed, that are overactive, in their sexuality because it's being oppressed that are now demanding things that are unhealthy because it comes like it flips the other way out right they're being oppressed so that now they want quadruple this or whatever right or, so, or violence or something something yeah, yeah a lot of it and you know i really kind of wish that uh, things could be done in, you know, in a different way that wasn't based upon numbers coming from the most unhealthy places towards right. women uh, on this planet. Yeah. It, isn't that true of red states too? Aren't, don't they want the most depraved porn, like all those Jesus places? Yeah, well, they're usually the ones that are always found out to be gay. We all know that to be true. <laughs> right? They're the ones yeah. running around, cross-dressing, and having sex with children and you know all kinds of like it because it is it's the like if you're able to have a normal healthy uh conversation lifestyle there's no need to go overboard you know right. it's like it's available yeah. and you can you can ha it's like you know kind of uh, like living in a healthy environment at home Right, right? right as a child it's like you're not gonna grow up and have all these different kind of issues typically because you kind of have an, an opportunity to you know fall over have some comfort to help you bring you back up you know like the normal way of like going through things in life and when you have a lot of oppression with something it twists it of course you know? that's always a flip side we've got to wrap up where can people find you Oh, uh, pretty much everywhere underneath <laughs> PJ Brit Star. Just Google me. <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna uh, we're gonna put links to everything and a gorgeous picture of you on the website. And um, Wait, can I can I just say one more thing? Oh my God, Talk go to me. Talk go. To me. <laughs> okay, I feel like you are the style icon for the current White House press secretary. <laughs> Have you, I mean, have you noticed, like, I don't know if you're into <laughs> politics at all, but Kaylee, whatever the fuck, Kaylee McEnany or whatever the fuck her name is. And she just stands there and lies. But I feel like her, She's uh, trying to steal a Brit's look. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was like, wait it. a minute. I was like, wait, who does she look like? Because, because, uh, Amy Maybe sent me. Politics is in my future, baby. You know? <laughs> I think I. Never know. I think you should. I think, I think you you're going to take over the world, Brett. Making a run. <laughs> uh, too funny. Well, thank you guys so much for having me thank on. Thank you so I much for being honest being with us. To have a conversation about things that I really, where my heart is at right of now. Of course. Of course, baby. You're the best. Thank you for being so open with everything. Mm -hmm.